0: Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort.
1: We're putting our foot down to keep our feet up, like way up, with Lazy Boy. Our phones will be set to do not disturb, our podcast to full volume, and our sofas to recline. After a full day of doing a lot of adulting, the only thing we'll be doing is a lot of nothing.
0: It's our right to take time for our well-deserved lazy time.
1: We, the lazy, are taking back lazy. All from the comfort of our lazy boy furniture. Lazy boy. Long live the lazy.
0: with Tim Ironcow. It is old fucking official. All right, stop playing. Download and subscribe. Library Rap, the hip-hop interviews with Tim Iancal It's cold. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's your boy Foul March in the building. I need y'all to make sure you subscribe and download to the podcast Library Rap. Hip-hop interviews with your boy Tim Einenkel, you already know. New album,
2: Dreamy and Cursive, Mystic. uh, It's honored to have you on Library Rap, the hip-hop interviews with Tim Einenkel. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you. Yes, the girl who loves sparklers. I'm here.
2: I want to start just early in your career. You know, you, I didn't know this when I was reading you, 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 you opened and you worked alongside artists such as Outcastles and Mischief, Leaders of the New School and of course Digital Underground. Can you just like briefly talk about what you remember, what you took away from those experiences as not just a person, but as an artist?
1: Yeah, so we can kind of break those down. Leaders of the New School was the first like out of state New York like group that I opened for. And Mm -hmm. Buster Rhymes thought I was dope. You know, it it just, it meant the world to me. being born and raised um, in the bay area and on the west coast even though there you know there's thousands of miles that separated it's like cassette tapes were being sent back and forth so i was very much hearing music and then what was being released commercially but you know i just as you start to open for people like leaders of the new school and then outcast i opened for them on on their first single off their first album right imagine wow. that
0: wow. that, yeah.
1: that you know, you start going, oh, I think I'm on the right path. I think I'm on, I'm on my way. And when you open for artists like them, and I, I also open for artists like KRS-One and, you know, L Scratch and anybody you can kind of possibly think of, and you learn from them how to master a stage, right? As MCs, we are masters of ceremony. And, and you watch what people, you watch what people do. You watch how they move around. I think you can also observe people with their breath control. You can observe how MCs are interacting and, and being in, in a, in a cipher on the stage. Right. Um, but with digital underground, I became part of digital underground. I'm still a member of digital underground and the kind of Shakji rest in power to our mentor and brother and fearless leader um you know for all the fun that is digital underground ran a pretty tight ship and so going out um sure the the studio sessions you know what i learned in those studio sessions was like you have i had to learn how to be in a studio with hella people where there were hella things going on <laughs> where my individual sessions are usually like me and the engineer right, right. people were sensitive to the energy in the studio and so i learned that but in going out on the road You know, I I had to be a roadie just like Clock was a roadie. I had to carry those. I had to carry those turntables, not Serato, those turntables. (laughs) And I had to set up stage and break down stage after the show. And there were very specific times to be on the stage. Shock would draw out a stage plot with the props that were on the stage. We, in fact, could be docked if we weren't on stage when we were supposed to be, if we were on stage when we were supposed to be, if we were not bringing out the props that we were supposed to bring out. So, I mean, I just I, I absorbed and also from digital, I learned that, you know, you could be revolutionary, but you can have fun and and that we need to celebrate, celebrate life. So kind of a long answer. But I think I got all your people in there. But it's like we learn from each other. and And as we approach the 50th anniversary of hip hop, like as somebody who is 48, like I feel so privileged to have literally grown up with hip hop. So what I learned from my peers and those who came before me is, is unlimited and it helped to shape who I am as a master of ceremony. Uh,
2: my, I, I've always had this appreciation for digital underground and, and it comes from weirdly from my grandmother who I uh, used to, uh, who bought me a bootleg tape of sex packets <laughs> uh, <laughs> and i don't know what grade i don't i must have been like elementary school but actually i you know in hindsight probably shouldn't have known the entire album but you know yeah but especially but uh she she she, she the only thing i remember about the bootleg tape was that side a to a side b and side b was side a yeah
1: yeah uh, but and, and, and you think you were you that's what grade you were in for me when that album dropped i think i was still in high school or i dropped out of high school and i was working with children but i was on my I got brought into digital, there's kind of different iterations. And I was, I was getting brought in while Pac was still alive. I was 20 years old, 19, 20 years old being brought into digital. So like, I'm sure you can imagine, and maybe your listeners can imagine being, you know, a teenager coming out of being a teenager and just being a really young person the crew I came up with is hieroglyphics being around this kind of magnificent and then being brought into this legendary crew. is just like not anything that I ever, I ever imagined. Right. I'm not sure we, we, all of us ever imagined that hip hop would turn into what it is today.
2: Yeah. What did, I mean, when you started, what did you think? I mean, what did you, I mean, obviously it was this expression, right? This art form, but I mean, did you think it had legs to, Go fifty. I mean, yeah, it's continuously going, but to reach fifty, or did you think? I mean, like, do all we right, this ever, ever even t-
1: think about being fifty? You know what no, I mean? Not no, at all. I'm, not, I'm not sure that I thought about <laughs> hip hop being fifty, but but again, like my mom had me when she was twenty one. My mom was into hip hop. And so she was the person who was cutting out pages in the pink section and taking me to see the movies and she was buying vinyl and all I knew is that it resonated with me. And that it was exciting. And that as I was growing up in the 80s and Reaganomics, like what we were experiencing in our communities was being reflected reflected in the music. But for me, like maybe because I, I came up with so many um, male artists, right? And had male friends. I too didn't know that, even think that I would live past the age of 25, right? The 80s and 90s were deep. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> with hip hop, no, I didn't think it would become like the largest genre in the world and and be in these commercials or, you know, I I didn't think anything I made would be in commercials or in be in films, but I knew that I had to do it and I would do it regardless of whether I ever put out a record, right? That hip hop culture itself from the, the the dancing to the the beautiful graffiti to the DJing to the MCing, all of it. You know, we know that it's very much uh, a youth, a youth culture, right? Is when people start in. It's a youth, a youth culture. But I happen to be, I think, part of the second generation, right? Since I was born in seventy four, of the second generation with it. So, like, we actually were the young people. We didn't have people who were fifty and sixty. We didn't have people who had been through the pitfalls or experienced the highest of highs to be there to kind of give us that kind of guidance and educate us about labels and do all those things. We had to figure it out.
2: Um, you, you said something in a uh, interview, and I wanna, it's, you talked about owning your own masters, but it's, it's. and the question is not gonna be about the importance of owning your own masters. It's more about uh, what else you said. said. So you said, quote, I think the benefit of owning, that means nobody else gets to sell my trauma, nobody else gets to sell my healing and i think it's important for us and this is you responding to the importance of owning your own masters but you know what what i think is amazing about that quote is that it's you reiterating that you're okay your your willingness to show your vulnerability uh and share your true self with us and and go through that healing process when did you or who did you learn from that that this would be the way you want it to express yourself or what you want to express yourself doing in in the art?
1: Oh, I love that question. Um, So I, my mother always made sure I was in the arts growing up. Um, I grew up without a television. So I was writing stories and poems when I was in elementary, but was full on a poet um, in junior high and all through high school. Um and having experienced the trauma, the art saved my life. And I knew no other way to be than than vulnerable. And also if you look at you know writing that I was reading, you know, whether it was about Asada Shakur or Angela Davis or the fact that I was working as a young you know, educator in an after-school program with one of Erica Huggins' children. She was at one time minister of education for the Black Panthers. What I understood was that 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 train that pain and that trauma um, is something that is shared. But like, I also just had this fierce belief that we are more similar and more connected than we often think that we are. I didn't know that so many people were going to connect to the vulnerability or the pain. Or the trauma, but I think part of the reason that happened is because I've also, no matter what has happened to me, I fiercely believe in love. I fiercely believe that we can transform ourselves in the world and we can make it a better place and we can have more justice. And so, yeah, on one hand, the vulnerability, absolutely intentional. On the other hand, it's just, I didn't know any other way to be as somebody who grew up and, and people thought was going to go and, you know, study creative writing at some small East Coast college, you know, turning into an MC was quite a, quite a, quite a breakaway on my, on my path, but it made, it made perfect sense. And it, it was, I've always said, and I'll end after this, but I've always said that like a blank piece of paper is the most powerful, powerful, place because on a blank piece of paper, I can berate myself. I can honor myself. I can write down what I imagine that does not yet exist. And it was my safe place. I am somebody, I don't mind speaking about it. I was raped before the age of 13 and I told no one. And that page saved my life. That blank page saved my life because Everything that I was not saying to anybody was on that page. And so I think natural progression through developing as an MC that those things stayed on the page. It's kind of interesting to reflect on it and kind of analyze it. But I think, yeah, I just knew, I knew no, no other way. And I also just thought like, you remember these conversations about who is, who is real and who's not real and who's, who's writing lyrics that are not you know, that they're lying in what they're saying, you know, uh, as MC, we're supposed to be creative, but there are people co- who completely fabricate right? Um, even trauma in their lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so of course I was going to keep it real. Like at some point I said, no, I'm, you know, I ain't got to claim to keep it real. Right. Because you can see the pain in my step. You can see this in my eyes. You can see what my, what, what my life is, but. But I'm really thankful that people could also see that I was like loving and bright and and a vibrant heart and spirit underneath the the trauma.
2: Was there ever any pushback by people in terms of like maybe you're, you know, maybe they're like you're maybe you're sharing too much and we you you know people are not going to gravitate to it and maybe you should kind of change up a little bit lyrically what you're you're trying to convey or were people more receptive to it?
1: Yeah, I think I was just so fiercely committed to doing what I was doing, right? Even though I had never done it before when I made the first album, I was very clear on what I was doing. The only pushback that I got um was actually on the song Once a Week, interestingly enough, which Once a Week being a song that is about being empowered as a woman to make decisions about how you want your relationships um, sexual relationships, physical relationships, and just kind of vibe relationships to be, to, to, to work out. And so there was some pushback on that, that it was perhaps kind of in conflict with the fact that I talk about saving babies and I, I talk about corrupt politicians and, and the, the prison industrial complex. But my thing was that I didn't, I wasn't gonna take it off the album. That first, all all my albums, all my art, is a reflection of where I am at that at that moment. And so yeah, that's the only song that I got that I got pushback on. But nobody could have warned me. And and I mentor a lot of young people who want to be in the music business now, not just as as artists, but some of them want to be behind the the, the scenes and do tour management. Some of them want to be producers, some of them want to be lawyers. Um but underneath a lot of them are creatives, but for the ones who have experienced trauma, right? And we talk about this as we, as we kind of define our mentor-mentee relationship. And I try to understand how I can best support these young people on their journeys is I try to have them understand, be open, be who you are in the art that you create, but also be aware of what you share. And prepare yourself for what you share. It's okay to make art and not share it with the world. Your art is your art. If it's part of your mechanism for healing, you don't have to put that into a capitalist kind of framework for it to be valuable. Use your art for yourself. But, but understand people, it's like, why do people stop and slow down and stare at car crashes? Right. And, and, and the music industry makes a ton of money off of people, particularly in hip hop who have experienced trauma. And so just understand you need to define your story. You need to control your story. Even if you're signed to a label, even if that's your goal, you, you need to own that. That's, that's yours. And when I walked away from my record deal after that first album, I literally was willing to walk away from my master's, walk away from everything to get my freedom. Right. And, and I just think that, I don't know, it's like, as I talk about it, I talk about it, it's, I don't know that, that, that going back to the quote that you, that, that you spoke about, about nobody else gets to sell, you know, my trauma or my healing. I walked away from it. And I was peace with doing that, but I definitely was like, wow, they own the song I wrote about my dad dying from a heroin overdose and talking about being raped. And, and I walked away, but in some ways that was walking away from the pain, but that's a whole different question. Um, and I was able to do a bunch of healing when I stepped back from the music. And-
2: did you completely that I mean, did you, uh, did you completely step back in the sense that you st- stopped writing? Ryan or, or, I mean, or was it just more, more to go back to like more writing for self?
1: Yeah, no, I, I stepped back from the industry as in no more um, being signed to a label, no more lawyer, no more booking agent, no more accountant. I was fully in that framework. Right. And so the trajectory that I was on, I probably would have continued to go even higher if I stayed on it. But when I stepped back, it was like, I stepped away from from everything except for the art. The art is mine. I write poems and I write rhymes for me. And so I stepped back, but I also began, so yeah, just from the music industry. That's why I try to be really clear about that part. I stepped back from the music business, the music industry, but I began to, to, to create art with Eli from Living Legends. And we were just creating music and I I wasn't creating it for any album. I wasn't creating it for a label. I wasn't trying to get put on. I wasn't trying to get distribution. It was just like, just to make, to make art. I know far too many MCs and, and, and other folks in our culture who have been in this business, who this business turned them into people who hate what they used to love. And I never, ever, ever wanted to be or want to be, want to be that that person. So I think it's important to make a distinction. Like this is, this is my art. It doesn't actually belong to anybody else unless I decide to share it.
2: Uh, I think, I think I saw a quote from, uh, just now, actually just squirted out. So I forgot who it was, but some, MC who stepped back and w- went away from the industry and said, like, I didn't realize how dark, what, it, what, it, what, like what such a dark place I was in until I stepped back.
1: Yeah. So I know I was still broken when I left, right? As much as I believe in love and beauty and the life videos, all bright and colorful and there's children and all these, I was still, I was still a broken black girl as I, as I call it. And, um, what I know without a doubt. And I left and I enrolled in school. I was a high school dropout and I took my GED. And so when I stepped back from the music business, I started community college and I fell in love with like knowledge and learning and just had all this time to fall in love and fall out and work on my healing and further define who I was as this, you know, woman in my late twenties, early early thirties and what, what I know, and maybe I can't really like describe properly (laughs) is that, or here's the easiest way to say it. If I had not stepped back from the industry and, and gone on my path and, and I was pursuing education to be of service to children who are my heart, that I'm not sure that I will be alive today. I'm not sure that I would be the healed black woman who I am Today, if I had not stepped back, the music industry is not here to love you. The music industry is not here to help you heal. That's not that's not what it's built for. And so stepping back from it, and I know some other folks who have stepped back from it to raise their children, to just, you know, pursue education, do other things. We are incredibly diverse. People have gone into film, they're professors, they're, you know, just so many different things. When we start off young, and we just we want to be masters of ceremony, and we want to step into the world, right where hip hop is real, and we want to be in this place, and I think we're almost willing to like, you know, sacrifice ourselves for our art. And as we get as we get older, and if we find some some level of success, like I did that you, you kind of have to make some decisions about how you get to continue to grow as a human and how you get to heal. And so for me, yeah, that's not why I stepped back from the music business, but I know that it saved my life. And I know that it was really important and it was great to go from being on TV. When I started school, my stickers were up in like the restroom stalls. I was like, oh my goodness, people talking to me in the women's section of the grocery store you know which i'm not complaining i love the people who support me but it was also really nice to just go back to life and to go back to go back to go back to to living and not have to care about you know it is not like i just let myself go but i don't i don't have to get dressed for tv i don't have to do these things and and to go to go doing interview after interview after interview um Talking about your pain and your healing, I think, can get to be a bit bit much. So I know that's a long answer, but the last thing I'll say on it is that, you know, sometimes you just have to step away from that. Every time we perform songs that are connected to our trauma, they can continue to kind of have us hold that trauma until we're actually healed from it. So, you know, there's songs that I can perform for that from that first album, but you know, like I don't perform the song for my dad. I've maybe performed it like five times in my life. And part of what I learned and part of hopefully I'd like to impart to particularly if there's, you know, younger artists who are, who are listening is, you know, hold on, hold on to yourself, hold on to yourself in, in the midst of, in the midst of all of this i think it's really important and i think it can be really easy to get lost did you
2: did you notice major differences for you writing wise uh let's say pre pre the life coming out right uh to writing for an album to then walking away and writing once again for yourself did you see you know, major difference in terms of what you were able to write and how creative you could be. Uh, cause I imagine writing for an album, there's a lot of pressure to do that in many, you know, but at the same time, you're also to your point, you're kind of changing, you know, you're in the industry, you're, you're changing and you don't you might not realize at the time, but then you step away and you realize that that you are. So did you notice major differences in I guess the writing process for you in those three different times?
1: Um, huh. wonderful question. Um, when writing Cuts for Luck and Scars for Freedom, the life was recorded uh, midway or almost three quarters of the way through that album. So writing that song didn't define that that album. I mean, I, I think for some people who were in the studio that night, there was something that was clear to them about the power of that song. Um, but so it didn't really impact that. And then once everything was kind of, you know, blowing up and I'm all over TV and radio and stuff, there were options that were coming in to do collaborations and stuff. And I've always been super picky with that. But I didn't find my writing to be different in terms of my my process, right? And part of my process is, like, I have to have something to say to sit down and write. Um Absolutely. Sometimes I sit down to write just as as lyrical ex- exercise, right? Lyrical fitness, um, and to play with styles. As you know, I love I love playing with styles. Even if people don't feel like I put a lot of them in my songs, I love I love playing with them. And um, so that doesn't change. But you know what changed through? I think making the first album and then going making the second album, Beautiful Resistance, is that. I became way less concerned about whether people thought I rhymed or I sang, or I was a spoken word artist or a poet, like I came to the understanding and this started, you know, within Digital Underground, that we have an entire toolbox as artists. And why would I limit myself? Why would I be concerned about what other people think? Right. As I kind of said, I think before we hopped on, but with the life, I was, I was, I was, I was horrified that people were going to see the video version that had no rap in it and didn't know I rapped. And then you had a bunch of people who heard it and they didn't think it was me rapping on it. They just thought I was singing on it and somebody else rapped on it. The people who got the album understood that there was far more rapping than there was singing. Um, and so as I progressed, and somebody said about the most new album, they said, Oh, you're you're singing more. I love the album, but you're singing more. And actually, I think I just became more balanced after that first that first album. And whatever the story is that needs to be told that's inside of me or that's in the music that I get from a producer, that really tells me whether I'm gonna rhyme or sing or both or do spoken words So going back to, did it impact the way that I write? Not so much, but I think the healing journey impacts how I write and the womanhood journey impacts how I write and stepping outside of feeling like I am beholden to proving myself to people, which is part of what being an MC is about, <laughs> is, is that it just... Yeah. I became way less concerned. Like I'm here to write, write for myself. And I realized that writing is uh, like, it's one of the most selfish acts that we can do. When I sit down and write my songs, even if I am writing to the community and what's happening in the world, I am writing for myself. Right. I'm writing because of where my mind state is or, or how my emotions are triggered or because of something that I've observed, but, It's really about me. And that's why I've kind of talked about in connection with the the newest album, *Dreaming in cursive is I'm able to really identify now that the the making of the art is a sacred process. And I don't know, I kind of know when to start it. And I know when I feel like the concept is kind of, you know, I've, I've done what I need to do with it. I've said what I need to say in this particular space and time in this moment on this frequency. And then, and then from there, then you step into the, well, how do we release it and what happens with it and marketing promotion and, and how do other people receive it and how do they, how do they experience it But that sacred process itself? That's not about anybody except for me and the universe or God and the musicians or the producer. That's it.
0: Oh. Greetings.
2: i want to actually i want to turn to the album uh jimmy Incursive." cursive uh it's 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 i think the the name of the album itself is great it it it, it it's it's a sparks like imagination
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, you know,
2: right off the bat. Uh, so let's briefly talk about what, what, what's behind the name? I mean, how did you, is, is it the process come up the name prior to the album or was it during the, 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 the recording or after, or you just talk more about the name?
1: Yeah. I thought the name for this third album from years ago was going to be called praying on Astro Turf. Um, and that's a whole nother thing that we might talk about one year if I make that album, because it's a very specific kind of concept. Okay. Um, but I didn't come up with a title before. I wanted to call it love songs or everyday love songs. But all those titles were taken because every song on the album is its own kind of love song. Love for myself, love for community, love for the planet, love for for incarcerated people's love for women, love for our collective children, love for justice, love. Every song is a love song, even if it's talking about, you know, um, um, like on Unguarded on that on that poem and love not working out maybe the way that I wanted it to. They're all they're all love songs. But so that wasn't available. So I started thinking about how cursive. So th- th- this is forgive this. This one would be one of my longer answers. but it makes sense okay (laughs) i think part of what i started thinking about i had been deeply inspired um when covid started i was the lead kindergarten teacher for an after school program and i was recording the album during that time and there was one day that i was making a picture and all my kinder people know i love hearts and glitter and all this stuff and i make a heart and it's glitter and I write in cursive, the world needs more love or the world is in need of more love. My kinder people can't read cursive. They don't know how to make cursive. But I have this belief, if you sit down at a table as a facilitator with art supplies and you start making art, your your children, your students, your kinder people, your humans will sit down and start making art with you. And these children, they start sitting down and writing out in cursive not They ask me what mine says, and they're writing in cursive, even though it doesn't look like mine. And a parent comes to pick up one of the children, and, and, and the daughter runs over to the mother and says, the world needs more love. And this parent looks at me like, oh, you know, like, <laughs> this has to come from you, right? It's this beautiful, beautiful moment, but I'm thinking about cursive. I'm also thinking about these ideas that, that you know, cursive is being removed from schools, and it's really only in wealthier schools that children are still being um, taught about cursive. So, anyways, these things are kind of sitting inside. That's part of what I call input. That's before you start stepping into the studio and creating. Life is input. Art is output. And so these things are sitting inside. And I'm thinking about how all the pieces of myself from when I was a child before I experienced trauma to where I am as a healed black woman now, my belief in love and magic and community and and the world, that these things are all, they're all woven, they're all woven together. Like I still believe in them now as an adult, just like I did as a child. And so I'm dreaming, I'm dreaming in cursive. I am still that, I'm still that girl. I am closer to being that vibrant, you know, trauma-free little girl. I'm closer to being her where I am in my life now than I've ever been. And so that's part of the dreaming and cursive and the connections and, and and the love and community are all connected, like the letters and cursive. And then the girl who loves sparklers is also tying back to that girl before the trauma. My godmother used to take me to a beach and I, I remember swimming in circles and playing with sparklers and just being delighted and never could I have foreseen what I would have to survive. And so again, to go through a long healing journey and get to where I am and be making my healed black woman music is, I still love sparklers. I am still that, I'm still that girl and you know, there's people who write tons of books about how we need to nurture our our inner child, right? What did our, what did our child self not, not receive? Um, what do they, what do they need? And I'm, I'm delighted that I'm as, yeah, as close to that, that beautiful girl who I was than, than I've been since I was that girl. And so that's where the title came from. And also I just make long titles and I also love the sound of sparklers, right? Whispers and, and it does, it sounds magical. And, and I think I forgot to use the adjective about imagination, but that is also what this about what this title is about. Because as I previously referenced, our art can can reimagine our current um our current life experience, but we can also imagine that which does not yet exist.
2: intro track there's a here alive spirits high and you started off with young stars i offered that i often think we failed you but look around the world you can see we were failed too and i love that line because i think what it does it 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 breaks down that wall that it's not oh boy this you know old person's gonna talk to me and talk at me as a young person it's more like because that's the problem i think what we do at our age we talk at kids right we don't talk yeah. with kids and i think what that line does is like no no we were failed as well and let's go on this journey together and figure out the healing process together and you and i'm here for you if you need me and, and, and i hope you're there for me can you talk about can you talk about the opening line but also talk about that track i think it's like it's it really no i, I mean it, it's one of, i have to say I listened to the album many times. I listened to this track many, many, many times.
1: <laughs> so. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, a lot of people have gravitated towards this song, which I love, because it's all about affirming and, and loving us uh, as young people, as men, as women, just as as humans. But that opening line... You know, I facilitate with the lifespan. I don't just work with kinder people. They're just my favorite people. But I facilitate from kindergarten to people who are incarcerated in a certain way. And um, yeah, you can see that we were failed too. There's this point where we need to connect and, and I and I say, look, when I facilitate with young people, I'm like, this is about you. This is about where you want to go and the solutions that you want to create. I'm here to stand beside you. I will stand in front of you if I need to to protect you, but i'm not here to I'm not here to lead you, but let us understand that like there are some gems I learned along the way that you shouldn't have to battle to figure out but if we look at the the movements that are happening around the world and we look at the young people, you know it allows me to say the young people are all right. It's the it's the old people who, who have the issues. It's the kids are fine. The grown people who don't know how to love each other and treat each other. But so, yeah, that opening line of, of, of also saying, like, you know, I, I feel like sometimes younger people, when we show up to speak, they think we've always been the way that we are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we've always kind of had it figured out, or we've always been in these places, or always had these positions. And that's not the case. The same way that these young people are in the street, I was in the street. I believe that they can help shift the paradigm of the current world to a paradigm that is more just and loving and equitable, right? I believe in that. So that's where that, that, that comes from. And, and also, I don't think that we say enough as big people. I don't think we acknowledge enough how hard it is to be a young person. And what young people have to live through and survive through and look at the world, look at the climate crisis, look at the inequalities, look at the white supremacy, look at the white nationalism, look at the economic inequalities, the health inequalities, look at all these things. And then plus you're a young person and your prefrontal cortex is not even all the way connected and your hormones are changing. And like, you're trying to figure out how you connect to the world. And that's a lot. And if any big person forgets what what that kind of adventure is to be a young person. I think that's part of where we lose the connection. And so in saying that, you know, you too, I often think we failed you, but look, you can see that we were failed too, is like to say, look, I understand that it's really hard for you. It's hard for me too. But look, we're also still, still super beautiful and powerful and worthy and, and amazing. And then there was a second part to your question because I stayed on that line oh here alive you know what I was thinking about in some ways when I heard that piece of music and started thinking about it and the way that the singing comes in in the beginning it starts really quiet and coming in I was thinking about Outkast, the quimini album I was thinking about I was thinking about organized noise I was thinking about this kind of like this feel, right? Um, and that was part of that. That was just part of what I heard in the music when Walt Licker, who produced the entire album, when he, um, when he played that song, I thought that's what it is. But I've mentored a lot of young people and I say the same thing a lot of times, which is look, and I tell big people this too. There is no way around it. You can only, only go through it. And I think with all the struggles that we have in the world, it's important to love people up and here alive hopefully what you feel even if it's on a subconscious um level is that it is about loving you up it is about loving the listener up acknowledging that this is really hard but but yeah this is this is really beautiful and so yeah here here alive because you know, look, we've recently had conversations, we've had, we've had losses in our communities from suicide, from drug overdoses, um, you know, all, all kinds of tragic, tragic events. And, and again, it's hard to get through this life, even when you're, a even when you're, you're more grown. And I think, I think sometimes we just need to be able to, through our art or standing face to face with somebody. Say, I honor, I honor what you are, what you are going through. I also love you. And I also know that the only way for us to get through this is, is to go through it and to be, and to be together. And I think a thread that goes through all of my music is I've been walking this line. That's like the, the world is totally falling apart and Look, we are beautiful and awesome, and we can heal and we can make it. And I think that, that here alive, as I talk about it with you, I think that in some ways, here alive here is a perfect representation of me walking up.
0: Even if you so dope, you know the world's unequal. Beaten and abused, even disappeared, but also worshipped and deeply revered. We're loving all forms, parts of our communities. We could stop wars, or we could bring unity.
2: to be spit on versus you singing on it, and I asked this, uh, referencing the fact of uh, track uh, Magic Let Yourself Go." Yeah,
1: um, yeah.
2: How do you? Like, what is the? I, I guess what is the the rhyme or reason behind it, and also, are there stuff? Is there stuff that you could say as a singer that wouldn't convey well if you rhymed it?
1: Yeah. Um... I think making the decision to rhyme or it's thing is totally tied to the energy, the vibe, and the frequency of the music that, that I receive. There is a story in each piece of music that I select from a producer. If your music does not tell me a story, then I'm not going to be drawn to it. It has to, upon like first, second listen, it has to touch something in me. It has to tell me a story somewhere in me or draw out a story somewhere in me to connect 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 to it when i made the first album i literally was like when i sequenced it i'm like oh this is rap and this is song and this is this thing and these are these things um and i didn't i i, I wasn't where i was now where again i have removed the kind of boundary that i felt that or that i felt like hip-hop wrapped around wrapped around all of us. Um, And so it's really just about how it feels. And so for magic, Let It Go, like that track to me just sounds like such an Oakland track. It sounds like such a town beat or it sounds like something you would hear in the South, which is why, you know, the magic, magic, she could show you magic, which is actually done by somebody from the South that, I just, I, it, it it called to me, I felt very pimpish and somebody asked me, like, well, you have a woman, how can you talk about, you know, being pimpish and, and it's really, that piece of music just made me feel as a woman, it made me feel like I kind of want to talk my shit. I'm sorry, I don't know if I can cuss on you, but it, it made me like, it made me want to pop my collar. It made me want to say, I can show you some things. From this place where I'm a grown woman, and that did feel, did feel like I needed to sing it. I wanted to swagger and sing it, but also that particular music that would have been a very slow rap song. And and look, I was known for writing raps over things that were you know 69 BPMs and what have you back in the day. So very slow. It's not that not that it can't be done, but that piece of music, it didn't. It didn't call to be, called to be wrapped on But it's also just like, how do I feel that day? And what is this, what is this kind of song? What does it mean? It's like going to, to the other really singing song on the album, um, Still Love. There is no way that I could have wrapped that song. I could have never expressed that particular emotion that that way and sometimes rapping is the best way to kind of channel and explore the pain or the emotion and sometimes singing is, is for that and still love is this perfect representation of it feels more it feels still in some ways not to not to use the, the title itself but there is something about that piece of music That when those, the instrument comes in, which I say they sound like bagpipes, but they're not. But when I heard that sound at the beginning of still, it sounded like bagpipes at a burial. And that made me think that, oh, it made me think about, oh, wow, I am, I am ready to kind of bury and put to rest this journey that I have been on with this man and this place that we have moved into after these years and years and and the way to do this is to tell the story how it happened nobody else knows how that story happened except for me and him and he and i have never been in a better place and you know we've never been together and we have a totally healthy relationship but that piece of music that demanded it and but those bagpipes and that burial sound and the feel of that that opened up in me like
0: I'm ready to do it
2: so, so it's interesting you say you still love what you, I had a question about still love and you, and you answered it because my question was I, I was wondering if it was about a particular person but then when I hear the, when I heard the scratches on it I was like, oh, maybe it's about hip hop.
1: Oh, you know, it's not about hip hop, but that's the great thing about interpretation of art. So it can absolutely be that. But it is, for me, it is about a person. But if you hear it and think about hip hop, I think that's awesome. I was
2: just like, oh, maybe this is like a kind of a subtle way of, you know, me like the O to the
1: scratch, the Porterhead we Porterhead stuff, right? Like the early, the early stuff, scratches. You have singing. You have this kind of very almost esoteric energy. You have these things, and I, I don't know that I was drawing from Head when I wrote still, but I'm definitely a Head fan. Um, going back to when I was being mailed cassettes from New York, my homies in New York up to me on Head. and. Um, And yeah, so we've, we've seen, and, you know, I've also worked with the angel who is, who is a producer and an artist and she's mentored me and, you know, she creates, you know, super vibey music and drum and bass and hip hop and like all these different, all these different things. So when I talked about earlier, when you asked me, like, how was I inspired or shaped or whatever the language was about like opening for people or, you know, touring or what have you, having a mentor like the angel also impacts to this day um, how how I create. So the scratches seem totally, you know, and the way the scratch is drawn out. It's not like this fast scratch. Is love, love, love. And, you know, I stood in the studio and I said love in all these different ways. <laughs> and then Walter took those and scratched, and, and he took those and he scratched them in so yeah, I don't know. It's it's nice to nice to add texture to music. And and that love part is also kind of like it's a it's a way to 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 give you a break in the energy as a listener. I am deeply interested in in how music impacts the way that we feel. And I have always been really sensitive about and cared. Um, about if for the people listening, if I'm leading you through a heavier or darker place or a more painful place, and still love, even though it's really beautiful, right? Is it's still a burial. It's still a burial. And I, I think also I'm somebody who's always been interested in like singing or rhyming about things that are that that are, you know painful or hard, but making them sound pretty, life is hard enough, at least make the music sound pretty. Although I love my grimy, grimy, you know, New York shit. <laughs> um, because that also triggers emotion. It's a certain energy and a certain vibe. So I love my MLB. Lover. You're my favorite lover. Miles above the
0: others were smooth like summertime flows. You're a king like brother when you smile and glow. Laugh bright like the sun lives inside your soul uh, off. Silhouette is like a key to a lock, you used to be a D voice.
2: So glad you stopped it. To uh, that gets me so to uh the, the, the track uh, uh butter, uh green light. Um I was surprised to to read that I think that your quote is, uh you wrote it while dating a man I knew I would not end up in a relationship with. Uh, and you, you listen to it and then you see the video and you're like, wow, this is like a happy ever after. And, you know, ending in a way, but it's, but then you, your quote is that I'm not going to end up in a relationship with this man. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. How how do you do that?
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, it took me all my life to figure out how to do that. Um, after having my heart broken so many times, right. By, by by having these desires or want you know like i think growing up we might think that everybody is it and what life shows us is that they are absolutely not but it doesn't mean that we can't have great lovers i don't have to marry you we don't have to be together forever but we could be lovers right and that's why that song is saying lover in the chorus and calling out lovers in the, in the, in the beginning and with the particular man that I was dating, like, I just, I, I, I knew that if I actually did go down that road, that it would not be a good experience. So the good experience was just being lovers and being in that moment. And then what you see in the video, I think is really important that, you note. um, and I'll take a minute to talk about it. Um, butter green light, the video is part of a black love trilogy. Which will be a short film, but it's comprised of three songs from the album, which are Butter Green Light, Still Love, and Always Love Always. And these songs are not connected on the album. The love songs on the album, Butter is the like, I magic is the like I can show you some things and I'm sexy and I there's a whole universe and all these things, right? butter is like i'm dating you and it feels good and it's lovely and it's wonderful and i don't know what it'll be but you know i'm good here and then phil is like yeah we tried and failed this is this is this is tragic and then always love always is not one of the relationship love songs on the album but always love always is about the collective and and how love always wins and so What I ended up going through when I was writing the script and I was working with my co-director and co-writer, Yellow Wind, that was that I've always been so about keeping it real and unless I literally have sat down to write a fairy tale, which I did on Beautiful Resistance, Eyes of Diamond, a fairy tale, and I love that fairy tale. But it's talking about a thousand years and all of these things. Obviously, it's a fairy tale. It's called a fairy tale. Um, but when I first started writing out the script, it was kind of literal. But then I made a decision that the representation of black love that I wanted to uplift in creating this short film would be about a journey where the man and the woman meet part two or chapter two will be still love. And in this kind of alternate reality, he and I are exploring this pain and we come out on the other side wanting to pursue the redemption that can be found in Black love. And it moves into Always Love Always, which is about placing Black love in the context of community and the importance of community in our, in our intimate and personal relationships. So I stepped away from the album. Still on the album, is about a burial. It's about the closure of something. In a Black Love trilogy, it it opens an opportunity for myself and my co-star, who is the legendary Ray Love from the Bay Area and Digital Underground family. Um, it gives the opportunity for us to de- decide we want to save we want to save our love. We want to continue to to walk through it. And I really wanted. to to put that visual narrative in the world. I wanted to put an additional conversation in the world that says, love is not always easy. But there is power and Black love is revolutionary. Love is revolutionary, period. Um, Black love is revolutionary and love has saved me over and over and over and over and over again. So I hope that answers your question, but there is a difference and that's the creative. That's the creative license. And that's why a Black Love trilogy as a whole is a is a film. The standalone videos, um, they represent they represent what they you know they represent exactly who they were written about. And Butter was written while I was dating that particular man. Magic was written after I stopped dating that man. And I was like, I can do whatever I want. And still was written just still as its totally own world and experience it is told. Totally
2: the final track on the album is uh, "Dreaming Out Loud." It's the outro. It's a and it's a smoke, it's spoken word, and it, and it you know it really explains the purpose of the album. Uh, and it's for me, it was a track that could easily be the intro track, but but you kind of go out with it. Uh, why placement having Dreaming Out Loud as the final track of the album?
1: I put a lot of intention into the way that I sequence my albums. I and I know that we're in a digital world where people just jump around from track to track, but, um, I have always on all of my albums, there's a spoken word outro and it always presents kind of a summary, so to speak. Um, but also a path forward. Pointing forward, and so I wouldn't put it at the beginning because that would tell you what it's all about. Instead, it begins with greetings, and I I welcome you in and say, "I have some stories to share." Right, like a Shel Silverstein poetry book. I I have some stories to share. Turn it up louder, right? Come closer and turn it up louder. And so, dreaming out loud goes at the goes at goes at the end. It was also written at the. You know, I think I want to say it was actually recorded last, although we might have been tweaking tweaking a couple of a couple of things. And it and I think it just it it makes sense there. And I always like to point out the last thing we actually hear on the album, are children laughing. It's also the first thing that we hear on the album. This, this goes back to the intentionality of, of the sequencing and how I want to impact the way the listener feels. Um and Dreaming Out Loud, you know, it's not just a song title. Dreaming Out Loud is is a framework, kind of a conceptual framework that I developed when I was facilitating, co-facilitating youth roundtables with a schools, not prisons um campaign throughout the state of California with Revolve Impact. Um and so in these youth these youth roundtables, again. Intentional language. I was a co-facilitator. I wasn't their leader. Um, myself and, and from, and Andres would co-facilitate. And it was about facilitating a space where these young people from teens into their early twenties could talk about schools, not prisons and sometimes how schools are like prisons. Um, and talk about the challenges that are being faced, but dreaming out loud as I say in that ending piece is is not about simply stopping it, identifying the challenges that it, it exist. It's about creating the solutions. It's about claiming the joy. It's about defining where we want to go. And I fiercely believe that young people have amazing ideas about how we can improve our communities and our world. And we just don't necessarily listen to them. We go, oh, that's that's great. That's fascinating. But my something that I'm interested in is what happens if we facilitate spaces where the ideas, the solutions can be further kind of um, worked through, designed, imagined, all those things. So dreaming about dreaming out loud is about coming together with a group of people to identify the issues that are in your community, but also um, creating the solutions and making sure we don't get stuck. I always try to get people, you know, everybody should watch The Never Ending Story. And Atreyu is stuck, right? Stuck in the nothingness. Sinking into the nothing, into the nothingness. And that's what, that's what I kind of think of when we get together and all we do is talk about the problems. Dreaming out loud is the hope. It's the, it's the push forward. It's where we want to go so we can make sure we don't sink into the nothingness. And so dreaming out loud is that closing, that closing piece where I'm making wishes for babies being born and I'm, I'm, you know, saying that certain people don't, they shouldn't run the world. And I'm talking about how I facilitate magic and and closing and saying, and I still love sparklers, right? To make it make sense, because as we discussed the title and you hear all the things that are kind of connected to it, I understand that it's a lot, but the same way you thought still might could be about hip hop, art is about interpretation. And these I have specific stories to tell and specific emotions and, and the journey, and I put all this work into the intentionality, into the sequencing, into the interludes that are on dreaming in person, those are all super intentional. But then when I offer it to you, when I offer it to the world, it's whatever you make with it and however you feel it. And dreaming out loud is, is kind of that like, okay, go into the Go into the world and maybe be blessed and loved, and maybe hold on to our magic and our imagination.
2: Such an honor to talk to you. Uh, the new album is "Dreamy Cursive." The girl who loves sparklers, uh, Mystic. Thank you so much for everything, and thank you for all that you do.
1: Oh my goodness! Thank you for for having me on here, Tim. It's such an honor. Thank you for the brilliant questions, and and thank you for taking the care to provide a platform where we as members of the hip hop culture can like be taken seriously and can talk about our writing processes, our processes and our journeys. It was my honor to be here
0: today. Birth in this moment. Dreaming out loud means we seek and find joy and then own it. And even if the world had ended today, which it did, We would still be magic, not bound by any man or system. We would still be love, still be community, still be dreaming in cursive, and I would still
1: Parents, when you visit California, childhood rules. If you don't remember how awesome childhood is, just ask yourself.
2: What would kids do? Dance to a giant organ played by ocean waves? Yep. Camp in floating tree houses hundreds of feet off the ground? Check. Jump in a big tub of mud on purpose? Call it rejuvenation. We don't care. Just pack your fun pants and let childhood rule your family vacation. If you need help, ask your kids. Start planning at VisitCalifornia.com sometimes your cat can be a mystery like when they get so attached to certain cardboard boxes. (laughs) But when you use Fresh Step cat litter, there's no question that you're making your cat happy thanks to amazing odor control. Fresh Step clumping cat litters prevent stinky crumbles and make scooping easy by locking in liquid and odor immediately. That means you can keep your house clean and your bond strong. There's no mystery here. Find Fresh Step cat litter at a store near you. Fresh Step is a registered trademark
1: of the Clorox Pet Products Company. Certain trademarks used under license from the Procter & Gamble Company or it's a Affiliates.